Yes. Kids who were left. Uh, just the kids, by the way. The rest of you are going to have to endure me. Morena <laughs> Tefano. Um, I was thinking of a, a really cool story to kind of break into this, but I'm, I'm actually just going to jump straight in. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm just going to go straight for it. We're going to go to the um, beginning of chapter 19. Um, this is the story coming on from last week. You know, Elijah, he was up in the mountain. You know, the, the mountain shook and the wind blew and, and all sorts of fire came down. And, you know, then in the still silence, God talked. And we're coming straight out of that to this verse. So Elijah went from there. He went from the mountain of God and he found, now I'm going to pronounce him as Elisha. It should be Elisha, but then Elijah and Elisha are going to sound very similar so that you know that I'm distinguishing the two. I'm going to say Elisha. So Elisha, son of Shaphat, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. Then I will come back with you. Uh, Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? It's fascinating. Anyone get a text and you try to read into a text what kind of emotions coming through? You know, like you say, how are you doing? Good. No, are they really good or are they really bad or are they just annoyed that I've texted them? You know how we... It's... The Bible can do this to us sometimes. It's like a text. You read that and you think Elijah's a little bit upset with him. What have I done to you? But the Hebrew here is a little bit more nuanced. It's more along the lines of, sure, go back. I'm not holding you back. Go for it. So just a little bit of a positive spin on that comment there by Elijah. So Elisha left him, went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So this is actually the last week we're diving into these two guys. And it's a pity because I'd really like to unpack Elisha a little bit more. There's just so much around this guy. And he tends to live in the shadow of the other prophet, Elijah. So today I'm going to try and just give you a little bit of insight. And I'm going to give you two things to take away. Two things that I think are foundational in helping you walk with Christ. Okay? So let's start with the first part. Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Now, who has a horrible view at their jobs? Anyone looking at a white wall? Hit one. (laughs) And he does. Eh, poor old Jane. Eh, we, we get some pretty, some of us have some fantastic views, right? Who's got a view of, of Wellington Harbour from their office? Oh, a few hands are like, oh. Yeah. So some of us have great views. Um, some of them have bad views. Some of us are in a monotonous job, right? I'll tell you what, being a pastor is not monotonous at all. There's nothing monotonous about it. His job is totally trash because he works at the tip. <laughs> now, for some people, our, our, our job sometimes can feel mindless and boring. Well, let me first of all just give you the view of Alicia's job. That's his view. Every day, 
He's staring at the behinds of two oxen. You think this is a mindless job every day behind the rear ends of two oxen. You've got to also understand it's not a comfortable job either because some things come out of the rear end of oxen. So this poor guy has got a monotonous job every day for most of his life, and that's his view. This guy is not a priest. He's not this court worker. He's not some sort of tax collector or or some other cool job like a sailor or even a fisherman. This is his job, his existence. And God gets Elijah to go to him who's just faithfully following oxen, day in, day out. Changing his shoes every day and having to have a shower. And then goes back out, rain, hail or shine, with that view. And yet God decides to call him. Now, he didn't wake up that morning thinking, what's God got in store for me today? You know, after a few days of that, he kind of become numb to thinking God's got something different for me today. Can you imagine? Day in, day out, the same grind. Day in, day out, the same thing. The same view. But patiently, this guy does his job. And one day, God does come. It's fascinating. You know, when God says, you know, he can, if you can be faithful in little... I can give you a lot. This guy was faithful and little. Well, they weren't little, they were two big oxen. Twelve of them, actually. But not much going on in his life. His aspirations are most probably like, well, I've got to do what my parents did. This is my life. But he was faithful in it. And along comes Elijah, sees him out the plough, God says, go to him, and along he goes. He goes over to him and he says, hey, take my cloak, I'm going to put it on you. Now, if I got my cloak, I didn't have a cloak today, I was thinking of, I'm going to borrow Paddy's cloak. If I got my cloak and just went, well, thank you, Paddy, and I go over to Alan here and I say, Alan, I'm going to give you my cloak. Here you go, it's Paddy's, but it's yours now. There you go, cool. Now, Alan's going to be like, oh, thanks, Rob, but don't do that. I mean, you've got to... I'm like, don't worry, man. I've got like six or seven at home anyway, right? (laughs) Um, But imagine if this is my only cloak. So I'm going to run over and say, sorry, dude, it's my only cloak. You know, I'm going to be without, I'm going to get cold. But that's the thing, right? We live in a day where we have a lot of cloaks. We have a wardrobe. In those days, there was no such thing as a wardrobe unless you're the king. So there's there's two aspects to this. First of all, your cloak identifies you. Richard, you've got a great cloak. I can see it from here. It's orange. It stands you out. Richard, now if I go out later on today and I see a person with the same colour cloak, guess what I'm going to think of? Richard. Now everybody's going to be looking for Richard later on. (laughs) The poor guy's going to have an orange cloak and they're going to be like called Richard. And they're like, why are they looking at him? It's 
same with Elijah. He has a cloak that identifies him because it's the only cloak he has. When he hands it off to somebody else, if Richard hands it off to Jane, now people will identify, hang on, isn't that Richard's cloak? Isn't that Elijah's cloak? Handing off the mantle to somebody else. It's a big step. It's a big thing. Elisha is now being identified alongside Elijah. And Elijah is identifying him as the one who he's going to associate with. It's a pretty cool thing. It loses its meaning today because, well, we've got multiple cloaks. We've got multiple jackets. And if we give our jacket away, well, in a couple of months' time, we'll save up a bit of money and we'll buy another one. That's not the way it worked back then. Moving on. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. This is amazing. Most probably was quite happy that something different happened in his day. But this is the first part I want you guys to remember. Because all of a sudden, this guy who's got a job, who's following his parents' work, all of a sudden, this guy comes up to him, gives him a cloak, and he's like, I'm out of here. I am moving on. God has called me by mum and dad. I'm out of here. So the first thing you guys need to understand is this. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And for us today, it feels like when God calls us to something, we have to understand fully before we obey immediately. But that's not the case. In this situation, he's boom, out. He's gone. He's leaving his parents in the lurch. He's not even thinking about it. He's not going to talk to his friends. He didn't have to pray about it. There was no, oh, I better call a prayer meeting for this. He didn't have to go talk to his pastor. He didn't have to, you know, weigh the pros and cons. There was no, oh, let me think about this. He just did it. It was almost like he was waiting for God to do something. He was so prepared for it that when it came, he dropped everything and went. And it's not the first time in the Bible we see this happen. Go to the Gospels. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Can you imagine Peter coming home, his conversation with Mrs. Peter that night? Honey, I've left work. Oh, what are you doing? I'm following some guy. What's the pay package? Not too sure. We didn't talk about that. What's the big point of this? What's the vision? Well, he's the Messiah. And that's about it. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I came home to my wife and said that, well, there'll be a conversation. Right? They dropped everything. They didn't even think about it. Now, how many times have we sat with God 
and had to kind of work through the whole process. We need to have a prayer meeting. I'm not knocking prayer meetings. They're very important. Please don't hear me say that. But sometimes it's an excuse for inaction. How many times do we need to go talk to somebody about it? Or how many people do we need to validate those decisions that we need to make? Or weighing up the pros and cons? You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Now, I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here. Those of you who don't know, outside of here, I do two things. I, I work as a, a, an organisational coach um, through Wilberforce. I get some grad students who I coach through their training. And I also work with Arrow Leadership. And in my small little piece of Arrow Leadership, I teach personal vision to young leaders. So vision to me is important. I love strategies, my number two strength. I love planning out things. And you know, just recently with our hooies, by the way, this is not responding to anybody because so many of you came to me and asked me this one question. It's not about you guys, okay? So many of you asked me, what's the five-year plan of Hutt City Baptist Church? It's a perfect question. It's a great question. Let me tell you, in 13 years that I've been in New Zealand, I can't get past two years of a plan. I can't. It just, it just doesn't work. I arrived in July 2010. We had a massive week-long retreat with the elders in August at power Baptist Church, working on a plan and a vision for the next five years. Guess what happened September 4th? Earthquake hit. And we thought, oh, we can work through this because, you know, we really feel God has given us this plan. Let's pray about it. Let's have some meetings. Let's do this. Strategically got the whiteboards out and did the whole thing. And for four or five months, we got it all down. And we were ready to go because at the beginning of the next year, you know, because of the beginning of next year, that's when we really launched things. In February, everything's going to work. And guess what happened in February? You know what? Any vision plan out the window. And it was fascinating how the church reacted. A power back. I mean, unfortunately, a little bit of dig to the Baptist Union here, but they got guys in from other denominations to show and share what they did in Christchurch. But actually, a lot of small Baptist churches in Christchurch were doing so much that no one ever heard of. Power Baptist Church opened up their church. We got fruit and veggies in. We got people out to clean the streets. It was amazing. Without even blinking, there was no vision. God presented us with an opportunity and we just did it. We just got it going. In 2019, I remember sitting down with Bronnie Pode. We began this whole idea around church next. That's in 2019. We're 2023 today. We're still talking about church next because we basically just got it going. And who would have told us that when we first sat down there that the pandemic would hit, that Bronnie wouldn't be with us here today? Who would have ever thought that? I've got a problem with Christian prophets too. You know, they can prophesize the end of the world. They can prophesize all this stuff, but no one told us that there was going to be an earthquake in Christchurch. 
No one told us a pandemic was going to hit. We're just knocked for six. I remember we had a music team meeting when this idea that maybe, maybe they're going to shut New Zealand down, that we're all going to have to stay home. And we were talking, we are meeting in the old church office, and we had this meeting, and some guys in the team were like, oh, you guys are over-dramatized, this will never happen, I'll never shut the country down. No, no, this is crazy. Guess what happened the next day? So rather focus on a five-year plan, how about we just prepare our people for the surprise that God's got us around the corner? You know, how can I or we be prepared to respond? How can we be able to respond to opportunities that you and I are just not smart enough to anticipate? That we, it's just not on our radars. We don't know what's going to happen this next year. We don't know what's going to happen next year. How can we be prepared? How can we be like Elisha and, and, and the apostles that can just drop everything? God's doing it now. We're doing it. How? We need to get in a posture of spiritual readiness. You know, and that's what we try to do here at church. We really do. People tell me, what's the vision of the church? I'm going to talk more about it next week, but it's actually these three words up the top here. There's the three words at the back there. They're the three words downstairs as you come in on those little flags on your right. Faith, love, action. Our job as a church is just really simple. It's actually hard, but it's really simple. For us to grow in our relationship with God, to share love when it comes to communion, what Christ has done for us to each other, and to get out into the world and share that love with everybody we encounter. It's really simple. It's a way for us to be prepared for what God may have for us. I'm not knocking a five-year plan. The elders will tell you I'm really big on that stuff. I want to plan things out. And it won't stop me, even though I'm preaching this. I think it's important to have a plan, but it's more important, I think, to be ready for what God may have. Because guess what? Guess what? Because when he calls, we've got to be ready to drop the, uh, the yoke be ready to drop the nets, be ready to drop whatever we got in our hands. And guess what? God's not going to give us much in the way of detail. Poor old Moses, what are you supposed to do? Go. Can I just have a little bit more than that? You could see him arguing with God, just give me something more. Just, just go. Abraham, what, God comes to him, where do I go? Move along. Where is this place? Keep going. Jesus says one word, come. They drop everything and they follow. They have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, they were so clueless about this whole plan Jesus had that when he died on the cross, guess what they did? Went back to what they were doing before. Well, that ended that show. Didn't really sell the vision very well, Jesus, did he? This, 
quite the story. Elisha had no, no, no real, most probably aspirations. I can't imagine the guy's just doing his job. And all of a sudden, he's called to walk along the greatest prophet of his age. Who would have ever thought that? Little old Elisha. And without hesitation, he drops everything. You could read on just down the bottom there. Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. The first point is you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. The second point is actually this. Those God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. You know what I found in owning a house? I can't move very easily. Don't get me wrong, I'm really happy to have a house. But one of the things Monica and I did was when God called us, we just picked up and left. We picked up and left when we went to various parts of Sydney. When we went down to the south coast of New South Wales. We picked up and left when it meant going to Sacramento in California. We picked up and left when it meant just leaving Sacramento to go to Washington, D.C. And we picked up and left when it meant going from Washington, D.C. to Christchurch. And we picked up and left when it meant leaving Christchurch and coming to Lower Hutt, even though everyone in Christchurch thought we were crazy to go to Lower Hutt. They're missing out on a whole heap. Discovered this little paradise of a place. And it is. I don't care what people say. I've seen the world. I think it's absolutely beautiful here. We are blessed, apart from the wind and the cold and the rain. But that... And the driver's note. Sorry. The more you have that keep your feet on ground, the harder it is for you to just drop everything. And we've created our lives with a whole lot of stuff around, a whole lot of stakes in the ground that for us to just pick up and leave, to drop everything becomes just a little complicated, doesn't it? It's not easy for us to do that. Because we've really anchored ourselves into our lives. Try leaving your job tomorrow. <laughs> so I was like, yes, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, oxen, just remember the oxen. God uses the most the ones that hold on to the least. Let me just say this it would have been just as complicated for Elisha to leave the oxen and to walk away. You need to understand this. Just because we just see him do it doesn't mean it wasn't any difficult, any less difficult than for us today. He's leaving his family, his parents that would have been elderly, that would have needed him to supply for them. Peter is the same. Peter and Andrew and the apostles, they left everything. But they were leaving everything just in a very complicated way. They had family they had to look after. In a society where they depend on the fish to live or the oxen for food, just to leave it had great consequences. But they didn't think twice. They just dropped it because they weren't anchored in that. They were anchored in God. 
And so when God moved, they couldn't help but move with him. When God pushed, they moved. This is the thing I find extraordinary about Elisha that, sorry, Elisha. He left him and he went back, right? Okay? He then goes ahead and takes the yoke of oxen and slaughters them, which is very typical of his people. You know, a sacrifice to the Lord, that, that's part of his culture. The next part's not, though. He then burns the plowing equipment to cook the meat and give it to the people, and they ate. He didn't just kill the cows. He burned the plows as well. Now, just think about that for a moment. He killed the very thing that gave him his identity and his job and his work and his livelihood. And he didn't just kill the cows, he burned the plows as well. There's no going back for Elisha here. There's no, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I'm going to go back to my, oh, hang on a second, I just burnt them all. There's nothing for him to go back to here. I remember when I was leaving, it was a really difficult decision. John, who was a pastor, I was working with the two of us, were working in Helensburg Baptist Church, a beautiful little city town, actually, just south of Sydney. And I remember, you know, him and I, we were confronted with a guy who came from the United States. He was working for Baptist Churches of the West. And he came to us and he said, uh, Rob, John, we want you two guys to plant a new church in the subdivision of Sacramento, a new suburbs coming up called Elk Grove. We want you guys to be leading this church. And John and I, without even thinking, oh yeah, we're in. We had no money. We had nothing. And the guy's like, well, we're going to have to raise money. I didn't, Don't worry about that. We've got this. But you know what the thing that scared me the most? Anyone know? Yeah. Yeah, Campbell's good. I hadn't talked to Monica. Now, we left the States for a reason. We didn't want to go back. So when I came to her and I said, honey, God's called us back to America. She's like, yeah, nah. But I knew, without a doubt in my mind, I knew this was God calling us. And I said, I'll give you time to think about it. I'm going to start playing, preparing for it. Oh, that's not smart, Rob. That was her comment to me. <laughs> but hey, within a few days, she's come around. I don't like this. I don't want to do it. But you're right, God's called us. And it was hellish. Sacramento, Monica can tell you, was a horrible time for us. It was wonderful in the fact that this church plant took off and we got to know a lot of people. We did some amazing things, but it also came crashing down and we were stuck with no money. We couldn't get back to Australia. We didn't know what to do and I didn't want to be in ministry anymore. So I would sit there and question, God, did you bring me here for a reason? But I'll tell you what, we burned the plows. We killed the cows. We couldn't go back home because if we were convinced that this was God moving, then everything had to go and it did. It did. We, we sold everything. We had no money. We're stuck in South Sacramento. Not a nice place. 
Everything around Sacramento is beautiful, you know, like, like, like Tahoe and you know, Napa Valley, San Francisco, beautiful places, but Sacramento, we're stuck there. But we had done that. We had to. And God moved us on. There was healing. There was growth. We didn't want to go through that, to be honest. But it was the only way. Because there was no option to go back. The easy way out would have been going back. And I think for a lot of us, we hear God. We know we need to do something, but no, we get fearful, we get held back. Obeying is a difficult thing. Obedience, dropping everything, that's a hard thing to do. But you know it's God. You know it's him. You know he's calling you. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. If it's him, trust him. You're not going to get the full details, no matter how many prayer sessions you have, no matter how many people you talk to. They'll all give you a logical response. But at the end of the day, it's him that you need to be listening to. And don't hold on too tightly to the things you have right now. Don't hold on so tightly to them. Don't let those things anchor you. Be anchored in God so that when he moves, you move with him. So many times in the church we've struggled with change because God's moving and no one's ready to keep up. The biggest problem that the church has had over its history is dealing with the movement of the Holy Spirit. Because if we change the colour of the chairs, that's the end of the world. You know, don't hold on so tightly. Don't anchor yourself in these things. Anchor yourself in God. And that chain is Jesus Christ. He holds us tight, holds us there in place. And so when God moves, we move with him, no matter what the world's doing. Amen? <laughs> I'm pretty sure the movie's downstairs, downstairs is finished and some of you are scratching your head thinking, maybe I should have gone to the movie downstairs. <laughs> Don't worry. One more week, people. One more week. And I asked the music team to come up. And I'm supposed to lead on the bass in this next song, so bear with me for a sec. <laughs> I just want to say... Be challenged. Where is your anchor? There are things that happen in life, in your life, that God has kind of nudged a bit. And some of you have just kind of ignored for a little while. Because you're way too anchored in your own lives. There are too many things in your life that just have you nice and tight and well positioned. But are you prepared to lose all of that? Are you prepared to let it all go? But not only just let it all go, burn it. That's your challenge. There are some militias in this room. Maybe that, that Jesus has come and tapped on your shoulders and you're still holding on. Be challenged to let go. <laughs>